Good morning. The reading this morning is from John's Gospel, chapter 8, and I'm reading from verse, from chapter, sorry, verse 12 to 30. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And the Pharisees challenged him, Here you are, appearing in your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. But Jesus answered, Even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I come from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I've come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I judge no one. For if I judge, my decisions are right, because I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law it is written, the testimony of two men is valid. I am the one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, where is your father? You do not know my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple area near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his time had not yet come. Once again Jesus said to them, I am going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sins. Where I go, you cannot come. <clears throat> and this made the Jews asked, Will he kill himself? Is that why he says, Where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, You are from below, I am from above. You are of this world and I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be, you are indeed, you will indeed die in your sins. Who are you? they asked. Just what I have been claiming all along, Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is reliable. And when I have heard from him, I tell the world. They didn't understand what he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, you will know that I am the one, the one I claim to be, and I do nothing on my own speak, but yet what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. If he has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. And even as he spoke, many put their faith in him. Thanks, Chris. Uh, Let's talk to God and ask him to help us as we reflect a little bit more on this passage. Gracious Father, thank you for the Gospel of John. Thank you that uh, you inspired your servant John to pen these words down as he uh, recalled uh, the things that Jesus said and did and uh, gathered the testimony of others. We pray that uh, you, by your Spirit, would illumine our hearts and minds that we might come to know and appreciate this same Jesus more and more. And we pray this in his name. Amen. Uh, there hasn't been enough movie references lately uh, at sun, uh, Sunday services, so uh, I'm going to reference Spider-Man into the Spider-Verse. Yes, I know you've been missing those references. Uh, <coughs> but this film is possibly the greatest animated film ever. <coughs> yeah, I know, it's a big call, uh, but it's very, very good, very good. It follows the newest version of Spider-Man, uh, Miles Morales, uh, as he meets and messes with a bunch of 
different versions of Spider-Man from parallel universes. And there's a great scene uh, in this film where they all talk about how they came to be. They're all bitten by a radioactive spider. They all lose someone special to them. And in their pain, they all turn to fight crime, swinging around New York City and looking out for the little guy. I love origin stories. (laughs) That's one of them. And not just the made-up ones like uh, Spider-Verse. Real origin stories are cool too because they seem to show us why people are the way they are. Uh, Recently, I've been reading a biography on Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, the Christian pastor, theologian and conspirator in an assassination attempt on Hitler. I'm only a 100 pages into the book uh, at the moment, but it's fascinating reading of his childhood and how many times the author suggests that Dietrich's adult ideas and actions were directly linked to where he came from. Like his idea of cheap grace, that's a phrase that he coined, having its origins in his mother's industrious faith growing up with her, or how his accomplished and intelligent father would make him justify every syllable he spoke and that meant that he developed into, uh, his intellectual confidence developed. Or how he grew up in an elite community where a number of family friends were Jews, which explains somewhat his later actions against the Nazis. Origin stories, they're cool. They give us an insight into why people are the way they are and why they do certain things. Uh, Like the point of impact of a ball on a bat sets the trajectory to where it flies, so it seems that people's origins set the trajectory of where they end up. And this is no more more the case than with Jesus in today's passage. Where firstly we'll see uh, Jesus claimed to be the light of life because secondly he knows where he's from, where he's going and who he is. So that finally we might know him to be God with us and God for everyone. But before we get into uh, the passage, we need to note the story uh, just before this uh, in a lot of Bibles of the woman caught in adultery, uh, placed in the Bible in verses uh, chapter 7, 53 through to 8, uh, The simple fact is the early textual evidence says it wasn't part of the original Gospel of John, which is why most Bibles have a note about it. A note that says something like the earliest manuscripts and uh, many other ancient witnesses don't have this story in the Gospel of John. So that's why we're not going to be spending time on it. Not because it's not a great story, it is, uh, and not because it didn't happen, it very well could have. Uh, there's a bunch of things Jesus said and did that aren't recorded in uh, this Gospel, as John himself says later on in chapter 21. The reason we're not looking at this story today is because it's not part of the original Gospel of John. It's a little bit like uh, the great trailer to a film, you know, a, a trailer that's got all the main characters in it and that's snappy and easy to watch, but it's just not the film itself. So let's get back to the film proper and dive into the passage before us today that was read earlier with our first point, Jesus is the light of life. Now it's worth remembering where Jesus memorably says, I am the light of the world. Uh, he's in Jerusalem. He's at the temple in Jerusalem, the religious heart of Israel, during the Feast of Tabernacles, which was a religious festival celebrating what God did way back, saving the Israelites out of slavery in Egypt and guiding them and providing for them as they 
tented around in the desert, guiding them by a pillar of smoke during the day, and significantly guiding them by a pillar of fire during the night in the darkness. And this bit of this story was particularly commemorated by setting up massive lights in the temple during the Feast of Tabernacles, lights that at night could be seen from miles around in the darkness. And there's Jesus standing right in the middle of all this as everyone is remembering God's presence and him guiding their forefathers with the light and he says, I am the light. That's a stunning thing to say. He's saying, I am God's presence and guide for you. You want to stop walking in the darkness? Then follow me. As he says, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. That is, the light that produces life. And it's not like he hasn't already demonstrated, at the very least, that God is with him in this. Even Nicodemus, one of the Pharisees, has already acknowledged that at least some amongst their number are considering he's from God because of the miraculous things he's done, feeding over 5,000 people on just an ancient Near Eastern Happy Meal, uh, healing a paralytic of 38 years. Uh, there's heaps of reasons to accept what he says about himself as having the light of life. But ultimately, only God is the source of life. And so Jesus is saying, with him, you get life with God. That is, you get eternal life. Any who believe in Jesus and follow him get eternal life with God. He's the light of life. There's a great song by a band called They Might Be Giants. Uh, it's called Why Does the Sun Shine? And it starts like this. It's fun, isn't it? Fun, educational song about what the sun is as a source of life. But take away the cute music and the sun seems a whole lot less fun. The sun is a mass of incandescent gas, a gigantic nuclear furnace where hydrogen is built into helium at a temperature of millions of degrees. And we're gravitationally bound to this catastrophically large ongoing nuclear explosion. At a distance, the sun may be a source of life for the world, but up close, it's a scary, deadly thing. A scary, deadly light. But it's the other way around with Jesus. God's fiery presence way back in the Exodus would have been freaky at a distance. But here he is coming close to people in Jesus to give life, not take it away. And since that day, millions have been drawn to his light as the, as the very source of life. Many have seen the light. And here he is still in the pages of John, the light of life, beckoning us to follow him out of the darkness, out of the darkness of eternal death, into eternal life with him. That's the first point. Jesus is the light of life. 
And he can say this because of who he is, which is the second point. Jesus knows where he's from and where he's going and who he is. But the Pharisees, the the religious leaders of the day, they refuse to accept the amazing things he's been doing. They don't think he's got the authority to say what he says. Verse 13, they say, the Pharisees, they challenged him, here you are, appearing as your own witness, your testimony is not valid. You can say you're the light of life until you're blue in the face, Jesus. The simple fact is you clearly don't know God's law like we do. God's law says you need more than one witness to make something legit, something legal, something official from God. Uh, You can almost see them drop the mic as they say this. Ha ha, it can't be from God because he doesn't even know God's law. (laughs) But Jesus points out that he does know God's law, actually, in verse 17. The real issue is not whether Jesus doesn't know God's law, but that they don't really know Jesus, as he points out in verse 14. You have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. They think they do. Verse 15, judging him on human standards, that is, on outward appearance. They're looking around, they're seeing no one else backing up his claim, but they're looking only with physical eyes, not spiritual ones. If they were looking for God in all this, they would have seen that Jesus wasn't alone in his claim. As he says, verse 16, But I am not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. But they're still stuck on judging by appearances because they're looking for a physical father. Verse 19. And they ask him, well, where is your father? But Jesus picks up the mic they dropped and hands it back to them saying, you don't know me or my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. And maybe they twigged uh, with this where he was going, that Jesus wasn't talking about a physical father, but God the father as there seems to be at least the threat of seizing him in verse 20, which you can understand. You can understand teachers of God's law wanting to do this. As experts in God's law being told they don't know God, that's pretty confronting. It's like a bush doctor walking into a hospital and telling all the surgeons there that they don't know medicine. That's what Jesus seems like Jesus is doing here, telling these Pharisees they don't know God, but he does. Because he knows where he's from and where he's going that he's from God the Father and that he's going back to the Father when he's lifted up as the Son of Man. There in verse 28, he says, When you've lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am. It's better not to read the he there. Curiously, it seems some of them will know when know him when this happens, when the Son of Man is lifted up. But what is that? Who's this son of man that he's referring to? Well, in a vision that God gave the prophet Daniel hundreds of years before Jesus, in that vision he saw one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached God and he was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory and sovereign power. All peoples, nations and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. And Jesus sees himself as this son of man who will be lifted up on a cross first to suffer and die for the sins of the world but then be raised from the dead and then 
be taken back into the presence of the Father and given divine authority, glory and power. He'll be worshipped by people the world over. Jesus is saying he's this divine son of man. And after he's been crucified and resurrected, some of them will come to know him as this too. As God. As provocatively he says in verse 24 and, and here again in verse 29, uh, 28, he's saying, some will know that I am, he says. That's the name that God gave himself way back with Moses in the burning bush when Moses asked God who he was to say had sent him. God said, this is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. I am is the divine name, and Jesus is claiming that name for himself. Now, one of the Jews at the time do a double take in verse 25. You, you, you what? Sorry? Who are you? They didn't miss here. Jesus is not only claiming to be God, he's saying he's been lifted up, or he will be lifted up as the Son of Man. As that happens, people will know him as such. Because he is God. The Son. Uh, Jesus can say he's the light and source of life because he knows where he comes from, from God the Father, and he's, he knows where he's going. He's going back to the Father after dying for the sins of the world to be worshipped by people the world over as God, the Son. I was reading a testimony online the other day of someone who was miserable and uh, had given up. Uh, he'd resigned himself to all his suffering uh, in his life with no thought of comfort. In his words, he said, I'd accepted the darkness with no possibility of light. But then he stumbled across a book, a, a short introduction to Buddhism. And after reading it, he realised he was a Buddhist. And that the four noble truths of Buddhism and uh, working at the eightfold path of Buddhism were a legit way out of suffering in this life, in his life. He'd seen the light. As if darkness was only a matter of suffering in this life due to not knowing the right stuff and not doing the right stuff. But in reality, the darkness we all need to escape is far darker than that. It's the darkness that Jesus talks about here like a black hole in space that literally sucks the time and space out of life, so is the darkness Jesus wants to save people from walking in. Because this darkness sucks the life out of any right thinking or right action that we do. doesn't matter how smart or good we are. Indeed, it co-ops all our thinking and efforts into further keeping us in the dark by thinking we're walking towards the light. It's a darkness that Buddhism is just another expression of. Because this darkness is the darkness that comes along with a fractured relationship with God that we can't fix. And that necessarily must stretch into eternity. A darkness that no amount of philosophy or good living will help us out of. A darkness that death will not relieve us from a darkness that eternally trends towards decay and suffering and loneliness and heartache with no way out, a darkness everyone is walking in by themselves, a darkness that wonderfully Jesus promises to take us out of. 
Because he knows where he's from. Because he knows he comes from God the Father and he's going back to the Father after dying for the sins of the world to be worshipped by people the world over as God the Son. He is literally the source of eternal life. The light of life. Jesus is the light of life. Precisely because he knows where he's from, where he's going and who he is. God with us and God for us, for everyone. Which brings us to the third point. Jesus is the light of the world precisely because he's the son of the father come to die and rise again and return to the father so that we might know him to be God with us and for everyone. For everyone in his dying and rising from the dead for the forgiveness of sins, which is his point in verse 26 where he says, he who sent me is reliable and what I've heard from him, I tell the world. The Father sent Jesus to tell the world the good news. The good news that he is the light of life. He is God come to be with us and he is God come for the whole world, for everyone. And clearly he's been pretty persuasive in bringing people around to accept that. There must have been a real gravitas about him an authority and a confidence that swayed people over to him. Uh, Even at that time, in the face of opposition of the religious elite at uh, at the time, as they stand there and they question his authority amongst the crowd, nonetheless people still put their faith in him. Told that in verse 30. Even as he spoke, many put their faith in him. And this has been the goal all along. This is what Jesus came for. Why John wrote this all down in the first place? So that people would believe in Jesus. So that they would know God is with them and for them forever. Please, if you're here today, listening online now, and you feel the tug of Jesus' words like you haven't before, or there's a flicker of interest or excitement, of hearing him say that he's the light of the world, that the promise of never walking in darkness but having the light of eternal life with Jesus, that that is moving you and you don't know what to do with it, please don't ignore it. Don't dismiss it as a flight of fancy. It might be that you're coming to know God, coming to know that he wants you to be with him. That he's 100% for you, not against you. Please come and talk to me or drop me a line, send me an email. Let's talk more about this faith in Jesus because you'll never regret trusting in him. Because it's in Jesus we have the light of eternal life. The promise of God with us and for us forever. But what about those of us who know Jesus to be the light of life? What, what might we take away from this passage this morning? Well, as I was going through this passage this week, it struck me again just how staggering and arresting Jesus' claims are here. Uh, that the people aren't sure they've heard him right when they say, Who are you? Who did you say you were? That that response in some sense is a right one to someone who claims to be God and the light of the world. Because if it's true, if we believe that, then Jesus needs to be at the centre 
He needs to be on centre stage, take centre stage in every single one of our lives. And so while we might not reject Jesus outright, uh, and may, may not outright question his authority like the Pharisees did, we may unwittingly be challenging his authority in other ways. So I thought it might be worth thinking about what's, what's guiding our decisions, what's guiding our affections and our attitudes. Is it Jesus and him being the light of the world? Is that what drives us and shapes us and guides us in the things that we think about, talk about, spend our time and our money on? Or is it something else? Maybe even something good, like family or our homes or work or even church. Don't get me wrong, these things are good gifts from God that we should thank him for, but do we give our best to what we want in these things for ourselves and then the dregs to Jesus and what he wants in them? As we plan our family times, does reaching out to people for Jesus' sake factor into our thinking? As we think about our homes, the upgrades, the appliances, extensions, do we, do we factor in how that might be used to love our church family and our community for Jesus' sake and the gospel getting out? As we work either in the grind or taking more on or advancing up the ranks, does the time that we have to be on Jesus' mission and serving with his people in that mission factor in your thinking? As a church, uh, as we do church, are there any traditions or preferences or things that we hold dear that might be more at the centre for us than Jesus and reaching out to others for his sake? Now, what is it that we're clinging to more than Jesus, yearning to, yearning for more than getting the word out that he's the light of the world? What is it that makes us push back a bit on his claims and his mission to be at the centre of all our affections, all our attitudes, all of our actions? Because wonderfully, as the light of the world, God come from the Father to die for the sins of the world, Jesus is God with us and for everyone. So we can trust him. We can trust him as we put him and his mission at the centre of our lives and run hard at it. And I'm going to pray to that end now. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank and we praise you that Jesus is the light of the world, the light of life the promise of eternal life for us and for everyone. As God, the Son, come from you and return to you in glory, having died on that cross for the sins of the world, please help us to have Jesus at the centre of all that we think, say, do and feel. Grant us capture our imagination afresh with his mission of seeing the good news about Jesus, the light of the world, being heard and embraced by many. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.